swords, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. O Lord, have mercy on us. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Luke 22:44 And being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground Go to dark Gethsemane ye that feel the tempter's power your redeemer's conflict see watch with him one bitter hour. Turn not from his griefs away. Learn of Jesus Christ to pray. Tonight we continue to walk with Jesus on the way of the cross. After the Passover meal, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When I was a child, my parents had a... Uh, large framed picture on our living room wall, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. You may have seen the same picture. Quite a few prints have been made of that uh, picture. And uh, I used to uh, stare at the picture, think about it quite a bit. I was an only child. I didn't have an Xbox, so there was little or nothing to do. And so I examined the picture. Jesus was there in the foreground, kneeling in prayer, his arms on a big boulder. And in the background, you could just make out some dark lumps on the ground, which I knew to be the disciples sleeping. There was also a shaft of light coming down from the sky on Jesus and, and a kind of halo around his head. But what impressed me most about that picture was the darkness of the scene. Dark sky, dark clouds, the disciples shrouded in darkness so that they could barely be seen, and even a dark tree looming behind Jesus, darkness all around. It was a very somber scene. Indeed, you might even say an ominous scene. And in that, I believe the artist was actually quite accurate. As we read the Gospels, we find this. John's Gospel tells us that Judas, the betrayer, 
left the Last Supper, the Passover meal, early, and the text says he went out and it was night. And then when the mob came to arrest Jesus, our Lord confronted them. He said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. When Jesus spoke those words, he was not just talking to the chief priests and the temple guards and their cronies who had come out to arrest him. He was most especially speaking to Satan, the prince of darkness, who was very active there that night. You may remember that right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he was tempted by Satan. And right at the end of that biblical account, we read that when the devil was finished with all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Surely this was the opportune time. Satan now wanted to throw Jesus off track. He wanted to make sure that the ancient prophecies were not fulfilled. He wanted to prevent Jesus from completing the work of our salvation. And so now we can be sure that all the powers of evil, all the hordes of hell, the forces of darkness, they were all there. They were all arrayed against Jesus there in the garden. This was the hour of darkness and Satan was the prince of darkness. It was a cosmic battle, really, between the darkness and the light. In that struggle with Satan, Jesus turns to his heavenly Father. We read that he knelt and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. We always need to remember that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was also a real human being with real feelings. And he knew what he was facing at this point. He had seen crucifixions. He knew what it was all about. He did not particularly relish, as a real human being, he did not particularly relish the idea of being beaten and scourged and stripped naked and hung on a cross. That was not a good time exactly. And so he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But we must also remember that the cup meant more than just physical suffering, much more than just physical suffering. This was the cup of God's wrath, that is, God's hot indignation against sin, his hatred for sin and sinners. Jesus was now taking upon himself all of the sin of all of humanity throughout all of human history, and therefore God's righteous anger was now all to be laser-focused upon Jesus. He would absorb all of the wrath of God in our place. He would go through hell for us, so that he would cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would endure separation from the heavenly Father. It was not a pleasant prospect even for Jesus. And so he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
I always think when I read this text or preach on this text that uh, there are mysteries here <laughs> way beyond anything we can comprehend as the Son of God talks to the Heavenly Father. Mysteries beyond our imagining. A long time ago, a long, long time ago, I officiated a funeral where uh, some kind of different things happened. It didn't turn out exactly as I had anticipated. The funeral was at a funeral home rather than in church. And uh, I really have only, only myself to blame because I didn't do a lot of checking on exactly what was going to happen. Always, always remember that, Pastor Grady. Always, uh, always do a lot of checking before funerals and, and weddings, too. <laughs> Things can pop up from nowhere. At any rate, I was there at the uh, funeral home. I was back in the back in a little room reserved for pastors. And the funeral director was there with me. There was an organist who was uh, playing some pre-service music on one of those little funeral home electric organs. And the, uh, the last organ piece was now in progress. And so the, uh, the funeral director ushered me out into the chapel and I placed my books and my sermon notes on the podium that was provided for me and the organ music stopped. And so I assumed that it was now time for the funeral service to begin. But no, no, there was one more piece of music, not from the organ, but a recording, a recorded piece through that eerie funeral home surround sound. It was, uh, it was uh, Frank Sinatra <laughs> singing. And now the end is near. <laughs> and so I face the final curtain. <laughs> my friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. And I stood there <laughs> helplessly at the podium, young pastor. I didn't scream, which was, which was a good thing, I guess. But Sinatra just kept singing. <laughs> there always seemed to be more verses and more verses and always that sacred American refrain, I did it my way. I did it my way. I suppose that there are worse things that could be sung at your funeral 
but right off the top of my head, I can't think of any. I did it my way. People have been doing it my way ever since Adam and Eve, and from what I can tell, it hadn't worked out just real well. I did it my way. Jesus, on the other hand, prays, not my will, but thine be done. And something extremely remarkable was happening here. This was the eternal Son of God, the one who had created all the stars in the heaven, all the whales in the sea. Jesus was praying, not my will, but yours be done. That was the most extraordinary thing as Jesus submits himself to the will of the heavenly Father. And then we read that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus sweat. Jesus sweat. I don't recall seeing Jesus sweat in that picture that I used to look at as a child. But here it is in the text. Jesus sweat. We know from our Bible that Jesus was in fact a real human being. He got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired, he wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And now at the Mount of Olives, Jesus is sweating. Jesus is sweating. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Does anybody else sweat in the Bible? I suppose they did, but it doesn't get mentioned. You have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are being chased out of the garden because they have done the my way thing. They have done the my way thing. And the Lord God speaks to Adam And he says, cursed is the ground because of you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food till you return to the ground, for from it you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. By the sweat of your brow. Ever since that time, people have been sinning and toiling and sweating and dying and sinning and toiling and sweating and dying and sinning and toiling and sweating and dying in endless, tedious repetition. I did it my way. And that's the way the disciples did it, too. (laughs) Right there with Jesus. Last Supper, remember that? Passover meal. They are privileged to be there at that last real Passover meal and that first Lord's Supper. They are the ones that actually heard Jesus say, this is my body. They received that holy meal from Jesus. They entered into that holy communion with Jesus and with one another. And then when the meal was over, immediately they started arguing about which of them was the greatest. My way. And then they followed Jesus out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus carefully instructed them, pray, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And Jesus went a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt and prayed, 
and they immediately fell into, te into temptation and immediately fell asleep. And then when they saw the mob coming to arrest Jesus, once again, the disciples were ready to jump in and do the my way thing instead of following Jesus in the way of the cross. Do you want us to strike him with the swords, Lord, they said? And one of them actually took a sword and chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant, the right ear of the high priest's servant, which was a real great thing. So you have this servant standing there with a bloody face and his ear in his hand, which didn't accomplish a whole lot. Again and again, the disciples were tempted, and again and again, they did it my way. And... Uh, so it is also with uh, us today. In our sophisticated technological 21st century, we probably don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about Satan. But be assured, Satan is thinking about us. He shows up for work on a daily basis like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. And we are tempted, and like the disciples, we are often tempted when we don't even know it's a temptation. We don't even realize we're being tempted. The words of Isaiah the prophet, written seven centuries before Christ, still ring true of us today. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground those sweaty drops of blood which now foreshadowed all that was to come in the next hours, all the precious blood of Jesus that would now be shed as he was beaten and scourged, as the crown of thorns was pressed into his skull, as he was nailed to the bloody cross, all of that blood foreshadowed in the, in the sweaty blood in the garden. Adam sweated and toiled and died because of his own sin. And so also do we. But Jesus was different. Jesus did not sin. He was sweating because he was bearing the weight of our sin. He was bearing the wrath of the Almighty God. In fact, and this is fascinating, his, his sweat, his sweat is one of the perfect signs of the intensity of his love for us, his sweat. He proceeded to go through hell for us, the hell that we deserved so that we could enjoy the heaven that we do not deserve, life forever with him, so that we could be forgiven and have that eternal life. He did it all for us, the sweating, the praying, the suffering, the dying. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul. And so now, because of Jesus, 
we can really pray, Father, thy will be done. Because in Jesus and through Jesus, we know that the Father's will toward us is always good, always loving, always gracious. He is eager to forgive our sins. He is continually blessing us. And so every day we can pray, Father, thy will be done. And we know that's a good thing. And in our darkest and loneliest and most desperate hour, and that hour will come, in that hour also, in that hour especially, we can pray, Father, thy will be done. Go to dark Gethsemane, ye that feel the tempter's power, your Redeemer's conflict see, watch with him one bitter hour, turn not from his griefs away, learn of Jesus Christ to pray. Amen. Please rise for the Magnificat.